Welcome, my name is Michael Aceta. I'm the founder of Matador Canine Brilliance and author of the Dog Training Cheat Codes. You're listening to the Acknowledged Dogs Podcast. I want to talk about something today that is near and dear to my heart. If you've seen me on social media, if you've read my book, or if you've been an avid listener of today's podcast, or just the podcast in general, then you know I do not use punishment. And I typically say, well, if I needed to punish the dog, there's probably something else that I'm not doing. I'm going to take responsibility for it. If I need to punish the dog, there's something I am not doing that is causing my dog to not listen. I didn't set them up for success. They don't fully understand the behavior. We're working in an environment they're not ready for. I don't have their attention and engagement. They shouldn't be off leash, whatever it may be. Training stops you from having to use punishment. But a lot of people use punishment in their daily training. So what is this about? Well, I read an article this morning, and that was kind of the the catalyst for starting this podcast today. And what was interesting was the individual who was writing the article said that they were speaking with someone who had gotten a husky. And the husky was stealing food. They were barking at strangers. They were just being, you know, a typical out-of-control type of dog. And they had reached out to a trainer, and the trainer started giving them instruction on e-collar and prong collars. Now, the individual with the husky implemented the training that they were given, but they never felt good about it. They, they didn't want to use the e-collar. They didn't want to use the prong collar, but that's what they were told to do. That's what they were told was the only way to stop this dog from jumping on the counter and barking at strangers. Correct your dog for doing the wrong thing. They are trying to get ahead of you. They're trying to show you who's boss. You have to correct them. You have to stop them from doing that behavior. And punishment does do that. Punishment, by definition, decreases the likelihood of a behavior reoccurring. I was punished for doing something. I'm not going to do it again because I don't want to get punished again. So that trainer was right in terms of implementing psychology correctly, training theory correctly. But the owner didn't want to do it. She didn't like the e-collar. She didn't want to use the prong collar. So she started to look towards other avenues of training. And what completely changed her mind, she completely rethought her approach after having heard about a grizzly bear that was taught to cooperate for medical treatment through positive reinforcement. A grizzly bear, a wild bear, was taught to cooperate for medical treatment through positive reinforcement. I don't know if many individuals grasp that concept right away. I've read books on this topic of trainers telling stories about this exact thing, and it takes a while for you to really understand what they're talking about. This does not mean you pin a grizzly bear down and give them a couple treats and inject them with something. No, they were cooperating. That meant the bear could stand still by himself. That means they didn't need to be restrained or sedated. Can you, can you grasp that right now? Because for whatever reason, in the dog training industry, people don't necessarily get it right away, right? They think, how could I possibly teach my dog to lay still for 15 minutes while I cut their nails? I can't even fathom that. And it's because maybe you've never been able to do it. You've never seen it in person. And therefore, it seems like it's on Mars. It's in another planet. It's in, out in the universe 
It's esoteric. You've, it's, how could you even imagine that? And to think of a grizzly bear. Now, when I talk to clients and they say, oh, well, we learned we're supposed to punish the dog, and I start talking about positive reinforcement, they go, well, how is that supposed to work? I use this exact example, but I typically say lions and tigers and bears, right? I talk about the zoos. You could train an elephant to stand still so that they could get the weight on a scale. You could have a monkey stick their arm out so you can take blood and samples to make sure that they're healthy and okay in the zoo. You can train a lion to do a show, and yes, they used to use whips and punishment, but they've moved away from that. Probably because the lion got sick and tired of getting whipped and killed the handler. I'm just saying it probably happened. Once or twice, it probably happened. Not to make fun of someone getting mauled by a lion, but if they used positive reinforcement, the odds of them getting mauled were probably lower. Just going to say that. Okay, now the American Society of Animal Behavior stated... And this was in the article. I'm going to put a link in the description of the podcast to this article if you want to go read it in full. The American Society of Animal Behavior stated there is no evidence that aversive training is necessary for dog training or behavior modification. And that's what a lot of people argue. They say, well, you have to punish the dog. Or if they say, okay, I'm going to use positive reinforcement. This is where balance trainers come in. I'm going to use positive reinforcement for a lot of the training that I do. But there are some things I still need to correct the dog for. If they're barking at strangers, I still have to correct them. If they're lunging at people, I still have to correct them. If they're snapping at owners, I still have to correct them. That is not true. And this is referencing that statement. There's no evidence that aversive training is necessary for dog training or behavior modification. That statement by the American Society of Animal Behavior was referenced to 21 studies of the effectiveness of reward-based methods and the risk of adverse methods. The risk of adverse methods. So many things can go wrong when you add punishment into a training plan. Not only can your dog become less confident, your relationship can get worse, your dog can become fearful of you, but it can actually injure them, right? right? If the e-collar doesn't work properly or it's at too high of a setting, physically could injure them if you have a prong collar or choke collar get stuck around their neck and get locked and they have to go to the vet so they can cut it off with cable uh bolt bolt block bolt cutters bolt cutters that's what it's called you'd have to go to the vet so they can cut it off with bolt cutters i have seen that happen i have seen that happen a a choke chain or training collar is what they were marketed as it's just that uh chain loop that you slide through and it's a slip lead but it's a chain that got caught on a dog's fur, and it locked. The dog could barely breathe. We rushed to the emergency room. They cut it off with bolt cutters. Is that an effective training tool? Oh, and then they came out with the fur savers, which was a bigger linked chain that wouldn't get locked like that on their fur, and it wouldn't destroy their fur. You're telling me those collars are going to destroy your dog's fur? I don't want that on my dog. I don't want that on my client's dogs. I use a very loose flat buckle collar because we're going to teach the dog to engage with us. We're not going to worry about correcting them for bad behavior. In fact, I want to let the leash drag on the floor and not have anything on my dog most of the time. Now, if you're outside for safety reasons, you should have something on your dog. But if you're in an enclosed space, 
your backyard, you've gone to a tennis court, you're at a field that's fenced in. You can take your dog off leash and just practice keeping them with you. You'll start to notice there's a radius that they won't go outside of. But 21 studies showed the effectiveness of reward-based methods and the risk of adversive tools. Now, this article went on to talk about how they're trying to regulate the dog training industry. Back in 2019 in Jersey was kind of the first start of it. And they're trying to change the way you train dogs and limit, and they've done this in other countries. It's just taken a lot longer here in America. They're trying to limit the tools that you use. No more e-collars, no more prong collars. And there's some organizations that you cannot be a member if you are using certain tools. You just can't. They will not allow you to be a member. Very similarly, the American, uh, American Canine Club, they have regulations as well. You cannot compete with certain tools. You just can't. It's not allowed anymore because we have better methods. Again, just in this one statement, 21 studies were referenced. Just in one statement, I'm sure there's hundreds of studies that prove the effectiveness. So why is punishment so difficult to get rid of in the dog training industry? It's difficult to get rid of in schools, in the dog training industry, in society. Why is punishment so difficult? I got four reasons that I want to talk about today as to why punishment is so difficult to get rid of and why setting those regulations might actually help us get to a point where the punishment no longer has an effect. It's no longer used in the industry, although it will still creep in from time to time because of these four things. Number one is tradition. It's just tradition. Oh, well, Michael, that's a little ridiculous, but it's true. They have such a long history of reinforcement using those methods and techniques that it is ingrained in tradition. And it's ironic because that's exactly what we're talking about when we say there's a certain power to positive reinforcement. It is so strong that it could last for years, decades, centuries in some cases. Let me explain. If I'm working with somebody and they love working with me, right? I'm supportive. I let them know exactly what they need to do. They're constantly successful with their dog. They're going to love working with me. Now, if I punished them, but we got the thing done, for me, and this is not what I do. I do not punish my clients. But if I punished them, I said, hey, why did you do that? Okay, now you got to do five push-ups because you didn't reward your dog on the right time. For whatever reason, I didn't do push-ups. You got to do five push-ups because you didn't reward them fast enough. I'm going to get rewarded because they listened to me. They did the five push-ups. And now they never forget. Maybe they do forget, actually. With punishment, they will forget at some point. If I'm not there, they're going to forget. And I could go on for days about that, but that's not what I'm talking about today. So they do their five push-ups, and then the next time, they reward their dog fast enough because it's still fresh in their brain. Ooh, I got to reward my dog faster. So now what happens? I get rewarded based off the actions that I just did. And if I do that for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and now I've been training dogs for 50 years, let's say, and I've been using these types of methods, I've been correcting dogs for problematic behaviors, I've been correcting owners for not listening to me when they I told them to do something, and now you're going to say, oh, 
You can't do that. You can't correct a dog for jumping up on the counter. You can't correct a dog for barking at strangers. What the hell are you talking about? It's worked for 50 years. It's what I do every single day, multiple times a day, for the past 50 years. Now what happens? Now I'm in an angry mode. And in most cases, before behavior goes into extinction, we're getting a little advanced here. So before I give up on my behavior, I'm going to elevate the effort required to get a result. So I start yelling and carrying on and trying to punish the individual coming at me. And if I win, I get rewarded for my punishment and behavior. I get rewarded for yelling back at you. I get rewarded for creating a scene. I get rewarded for that. And it becomes harder next time to fight me. So the longer it takes to get regulations in place about positive reinforcement, the more the punishment side of dog training will get rewarded. That is some deep thought right there. That is some deep thought. Now, number two, there is a learning curve of training in this new way. If you were going to train someone, and that's where I think balanced training is on the right track, I'm not a balanced trainer. Some people think I'm a balanced trainer because I talk about punishment quite a lot, but I'm not a balanced trainer. And I'm not a force-free trainer either. I am a dog trainer who uses the most effective training that science has to offer. And that is positive reinforcement. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit, so stay tuned towards that. But there is a learning curve for training in a new way. If someone's been using adverse methods for 50 years, and let's say they've been doing it for 40 years, and now the last 10 years they're a balanced trainer, even though I don't think balanced training has been around for 10 years, as a label. So the learning curve is, well, now i got to use more positive reinforcement but they're still holding on to the punishment side that they've been doing 40 years worth. And when things get tough, when stress comes in, they're going to fall back to the behavior that they know works. And what I say by no, what I mean by they know it works, it's worked for 40 years for them, right? Whether it's the most effective method or not, it's worked for 40 years and they have such a long reinforcement history that it's difficult for them to transition and start using these new things, especially if they are an owner of a dog training company or they're a sole proprietor of a dog training company. They don't have somebody to tell them, you cannot do that anymore. You have to do it this new way. Unless they are insanely self-disciplined, they are going to resort back to the old habits because it's easier, especially when they're stressed. People like to do the easy things when they're stressed. You're stressed out at work. You come home, you order food. You don't cook. Right? You microwave something. It is very difficult to be stressed out in your life at work and then try to come home and work out for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and eat a very nutritious meal. You have to have a lot of self-discipline to do that. Or to wake up early. Oh, I already don't want to wake up to go to work. How are you going to wake up two hours earlier, get a workout in, have a great breakfast, watch the sunrise, and then go to work? You just don't have that self-discipline because you're stressed out. If you have the self-discipline, you will not be as stressed out but it's, it's like the chicken and the egg, which came first. Did the self-discipline become first? And it most likely did. <laughs> or did I get rid of the stress for a little bit? I built the self-discipline and now I'm impervious to more stress. I have become bulletproof to stress because of the self-discipline I have. But when you're a sole proprietor, you are the head of a company and they're saying, hey, you got to switch over to more positive reinforcement techniques 
You need to train your dog through positive reinforcement. And you're going back on, well, this is what I've done for the past 40 years. How are you going to pause your business, spend the next six months mastering positive reinforcement, mastering positive reinforcement without having a single new client come in, no money's coming in because you got to learn this new method. They're just not going to do it. And if you don't do something like that, you stop, put 100% focus on learning this new material, you're going to resort back to the old ways. You have to stop the old ways and start implementing the new ways. Sometimes cold turkey is the best way to do it. Think about training your dog. If my dog's jumping up on the counter, the best thing to do is to set up situations where they cannot jump on the counter. I set them up for success right away. So I'm not going to say, okay, well, you know, from two to three, I'm going to work on the positive reinforcement. So from two to three, I'm going to make sure everything's off the counter. I'm going to maybe put a gate up in the kitchen so my dog can't get to the kitchen. That's just two to three. The rest of the time, I'm going to yell at them every single time they go on the counter. That doesn't work because of variably reinforced schedules. What happens is they get to the counter, they jump up, they get their reward, and then they just know, okay, between two and three, I can't get over there. That doesn't work. Long term, that is probably the worst thing you could do. If you're going to manage situations, you have to do it 100%. A complete control, 100%. You cannot do it 10%. You will fail. That is as real as it gets. You will fail if you only do 10% of managing your dog's bad behaviors. You have to have complete control. Be a tyrant. Complete control of your dog's environment to stop them from doing the bad behavior. So if you don't have someone to watch over the individual who's trying to switch to positive reinforcement, they're going to slowly start to pepper it in. And if they have dogs that are so suppressed because they've been punishing the dog, that's another risk of adversive methods, suppressing behavior so much that the dog just becomes a robot and doesn't think, doesn't become creative, doesn't have any uh, personality. They're just literally a rug that will do anything you say with their head hanging low. If you suppress behavior like that, it is going to take a long time for that dog to come out of their shell and start becoming creative through positive reinforcement. So the learning curve there takes too long for the individual to go, hey, this stuff actually works, right? Think about trying to play the piano. I always go back to the piano. Let's pick something different. You're trying to learn how to juggle. Tossing one ball up in the air and catching it, super easy. Tossing two balls back and forth, pretty simple. The learning curve from two to three is a big jump. It is a big jump. Now, once you get to three, doing three to four, and I can juggle four, and I can juggle five balls. The learning curve from three to four is not very difficult. Learning curve from four to five, not very difficult because you understand the mechanics of it. And that would be the same way as going from punishment to maybe balanced isn't very difficult. All you're going to do is start adding treats a little bit. Going from balanced to 100% positive reinforcement, right? That might be a big jump for you because you have to completely eliminate all those bad habits of jerking the leash, Correcting your dog, saying, "Uh uh-uh, no, wrong, try again, all of those things. Using a prong collar, an e-collar, pressure on and off to teach your dog things. You have to get rid of all of that. I'm going to split behavior. I'm going to manage situations. I'm going to use positive reinforcement. I'm going to be shaping the behavior without even touching my dog. I'm going to use target sticks. I'm going to use targeting, right? All of those things, luring. How do I use luring effectively? How do I split behavior down super effectively? How do I create an environment where my dog is excited to learn? 
How do I find the preferred reinforcement? All of these things. That giant learning curve, if you're going from adversive or balanced training, is a big jump. Now, if you don't have any of those past behaviors, this is very simple to do. You're like, oh, okay, I'm just learning all this new information. But to throw out everything you've done for the past 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, <laughs> I just went into like a, a somebody going, oh, one, one, one thousand, one, one, you know, what is that? Uh, not a marketer. Somebody who does the numbers at auctions. There we go. An auctioneer. There we go. That's what it sounded like. 10, 15, 15, 20, 25, 30. Anyway, got on a tangent there. If you're trying to learn all this material, it's super easy when you don't have anything holding you back from the past. If you have all that stuff from the past, it's very difficult to let that stuff go. You got to let it go. You got to drop it by the wayside, put it in a bag, put it outside with the trash and start learning this new information. If you want to learn all this information, matadorcanine.com slash 14 day trial. I'm going to give you all that information for 14 days free with Matador University. matadorcanine.com slash 14 day trial. Go check it out. See if it works for you. And I know it will. I'm confident. <laughs> You'd, I'm going to be confident for the two of us. So go check it out. matadorcanine.com slash 14 day trial. I'm going to put the link in the description. That learning curve is huge. But if you can get past that, you still have the third problem. <laughs> the third problem is that punishment is reinforcing to the punisher. Punishment is reinforcing to the punisher. If I yell at my dog for crying, he's whining in his crate. Me, 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 me. And I go, stop it. And they stop crying. I get rewarded for them stopping the noise. Immediately. They immediately get rewarded for it. They could go right back to crying. All I'm going to do is elevate the amount of effort I put into stopping the behavior the first time because it worked, right? I got rewarded for it. So if it doesn't work again, I'm going to yell louder to get my dog to stop. That is part of the problem with punishment. If I correct a dog and they pause for a moment, they go, oh my God, I didn't like that. But then they go right back to doing what they're doing. You are going to escalate your correction going to escalate the punishment. That is the basis for using a prog collar versus a correction collar, right? a, a chain collar, versus using an e-collar. It started off with a slip lead, right? just a rope, a bowline knot tied around your dog. They would correct the dog. Some dogs got corrected, but not efficient enough. I'm putting quotes around efficient enough. They didn't get corrected efficient enough, and those dogs just became tolerant of that feeling. They just, ah, whatever. So then they came out with the correction collar, which was the chain collar, the training collar, quotes. The training collar. And that was a little more aversive to the dog. And then some dogs got used to that. And then they came out with the prong collar. They came out with different sizes of the prong collar. Then they came out with the e-collar. The evolution of punishment collars. I don't think, I don't know if there's anywhere else to go besides an e-collar. You could inject something into the dog's neck at that point. Or you just keep raising the severity, sensitivity is what they call it, severity of an e-collar. You just keep raising it up until your dog listens. I have heard trainers specifically say, 
If your dog runs away from you and you are using an e-collar, now not every trainer does this with e-collars. There are some very humane uses for an e-collar, and I understand why people do that the way they do, but understand, right, what the American Society of Animal Behavior say? There is no evidence that adversive training is necessary for dog training or behavior modification. No evidence that proves that this is true, based off 21 different studies. I digress. The bad e-collar trainers will say if your dog takes off away from you, you should crank the e-collar to the top and zap them. Those words, exactly. Crank it to the top, as high as it can go, and zap them. You will drop that dog. These are the words that I have heard in the industry. Zap that dog. If they take off from you, they will never run away from you again. That is not true. <laughs> that is not true. In this situation, in this environment, with the e-collar on, they might never run away from you again. But they will definitely run away from you again in any other scenario, under any other circumstance, especially if the e-collar is not on. But the level of punishment will keep increasing because the punishment is reinforcing to the punisher. If they don't get that reinforcement, they escalate, elevate the amount of effort that goes in to get that reinforcement. And it is so ironic because that is exactly the power of positive reinforcement that I use with my students and they use with their dogs. Right? If I can get them feeling so good training their dog, think about it. If I can get them successful with their dog, if I can get you successful with your dog, and you feel good, you're like, oh my God, my dog's listening to me. This is amazing. This is great. You will be 10 times more likely to go train your dog when I'm not there tomorrow or when we don't have a session. You're going to go, I loved that feeling of training with my dog yesterday. I'm going to train with my dog again. And that's very often what happens. Right after I have a virtual session with someone, they immediately go train their dog. And then they go train their dog at dinner. And then they go train their dog for breakfast in the morning. And then they go train their dog. Like they just constantly train their dog because it makes sense to them. And they get rewarded for it. And they go, I love this. This is great. And my dog loves it. So it makes them happy that their dog loves it. They become addicted to training their dog. And then that is when clients end up doing agility or sports with their dogs. They end up teaching more tricks. They just work with their dog more. If you've ever seen a positive reinforcement trainer talk about training dogs, they light up. They light up. They love it. Oh my God, I love training my dog because of the excitement that comes out of it. Every time I teach a dog something new and they get it, that spark in their brain where they're like, oh, that's what you want me to do. I light up. I love it. This is the biggest smile on my face. And I hope that happens for you when you train your dog. But if you look at someone who's a balanced trainer or a punishment-based trainer, yes, they get happy about dogs, but they also seem very tense, very stressed because they think they have to be so serious all the time. They have to be very strict with the dog. The dog needs to know exactly what's going on, and I'm going to correct them if they do something wrong. Like they... They have a certain aura about them. And this isn't every trainer. This is just based off the things that I've seen and the trainers I've worked with. There is a different mentality on the three levels of trainer. Adversive, balanced, and positive. Okay? But the punishment is reinforcing to the punisher. So when you try to strip that away, when you say, hey, we're not going to let you do punishment anymore. You can't use the e-collar. You can't use the prong collar. They are going to fight tooth and nail for that punishment. 
because punishment is so powerful. Punishment is so powerful. And the fourth problem with trying to eliminate punishment is that the discussion automatically creates a defensive nature. If you went up to someone who's adversive or you're walking with your dog and someone says, hey, you have to correct your dog. They're being all crazy. They're, they're walking ahead of you. You got to correct them to let them know that they're, they're not allowed to do that. Immediately, if you say, oh, we, you know, we use positive reinforcement. My dog's allowed to move off to the sides and, and stuff as long as they're engaged with me when I ask them to engage with me. They will immediately become defensive. Immediately, especially trainers who have been doing this time and time again. Why? Because punishment is reinforcing to the punisher. The learning curve is way too difficult for them, so they're going to hold on to the punishment idea. And they have such a long reinforcement history that it just locks them in. And you've now offended their reinforcement history. You've offended their reinforcement. It's just like if you love chocolate or vanilla ice cream, whatever, whatever ice cream you love, and I said, oh my God, that's disgusting. All right, if I had conversations with friends, someone goes, oh, I love pistachio ice cream. I'm like, oh, oh God, or mint ice cream. I'm like, that is toothpaste. You're just eating toothpaste. They're like, what are you talking about? It's amazing. And yeah, because we're friends, we could have a friendly argument about it. But if you went to someone you didn't really know and you said, hey, what do you think of mint toothpaste? And they're like, oh my God, I love mint toothpaste. And you were like, I think that's disgusting. They'd be like, well, who the hell are you? Why are you coming up to me trying to pick a fight with me about mint toothpaste? Immediately get defensive. Immediately defensive. Because you have now attacked something that they love. Something that has brought them joy. Dopamine. Something that has brought them reinforcement. And the longer a trainer goes using punishment that has reinforced them, the longer reinforcement history they have, and the harder it is to have this discussion. The solution is to talk about the dog. What is the most efficient way to train this dog? Positive reinforcement. Well, someone would say, no, I got to correct the dog to stop them from doing the bad behavior. And this is where the discussion gets muddy. Because the solution for both of them is the welfare of the dog. But the two individuals or three individuals in the conversation have different definitions of what welfare means. Well, if I can't take my dog out for a walk because I can't walk them, then I need to correct the behavior so I can teach them that walking outside is good. That's what a punishment person would say, or rather a balanced person would say. And say, I'm going to correct the dog so I can stop the bad behavior, and then I can reward the good behavior, and we can actually do things. We can go out in the world. And a positive reinforcement trainer who uses shaping and other techniques that they have spent a long time mastering, right, that learning curve, they went through the learning curve. And they said, well, we could train a dog in a week, two weeks, to go out for a completely fine walk. The individual says, I can do it in three minutes. Okay, but you've corrected the dog. You've injured them. This is where the conversation gets muddy. The problem and the solution are the similar, right? They're very similar in the eyes of the individuals. But how we go about getting the solution and how we go about solving the problem is completely different things. It's completely different things. If you're looking for professional training, use positive reinforcement, matadorcanine.com slash coaching. I want to help guide you 
through the process of working with your dog. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please let me know, write a comment, write a review, and share it with friends and family so that they can also benefit from the power of positive reinforcement. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.